Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Zach trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. Oh. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Before we get started, I just want to give a massive thank you to everybody with your responses to the news that, that we are partnering up with the Cavs, um, even on a cesspool like Twitter and online in general. Uh, a normally negative place was just almost exclusively positive, which was super overwhelming. Um, but what's not exclusively positive right now is the Cavs' current 10-game losing streak. So we're going to dive into that right away. And with me today to talk about that is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? Good. I like that we started our first proper episode as a member of the Cavaliers with a little bit more self-congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> you know what well i i thought about not going that direction but I, it felt wrong to not right like it's... no no it had to happen i just wanted to tease you <laughs> but it, i am really really appreciative because you know what outside of that things have been a little bleak right now um the last time we we're, were, we're the best news on on the Cavs uh, sphere the last week or so. <laughs> well, the last time we recorded, so we, we posted February 9th. So it was a four-game losing streak at that point. It has extended to 10. Since then, Andre Drummond is now sitting out in, until the team finds some sort of a trade for him. Um, Kevin Love hasn't returned yet, uh, was experiencing more soreness in his calf, so he hasn't made his return to the lineup. Defense has fallen off. They don't really have veterans, and... Just not Their a lot. Pets of heads are falling off. <laughs> Pets heads are falling off. Do we get one of those per season? I, I think we get to make one of those jokes, and I, I think this is an appropriate time. Um, you actually were pretty astute going into this game against OKC, where you you pretty much called it where this could be a real opportunity. Yeah, can I can people... I can I read it off? Yeah, go ahead. Direct. I said, oh man, I wasn't ready. I said, I said. I have a theory that this is the night things get really bad on Cavs Twitter. <laughs> I And it certainly was. I mean, to some extent, I understand it. Like, 
um, even though my view of the long term hasn't really changed uh, over this stretch, it's still difficult to go through these losses, right? Like it's difficult to kind of get your focus on the big picture. Um, the OKC game was probably the first winnable game uh, that the Cavs have had really over this stretch. I, I don't think it's necessarily a game they should have won, but it's certainly one that they could have won. And- well, yeah, and I want to say this because I uh, I did tweet uh, early on, and I know we're going to dive into the the, the the root causes of this of this losing streak, what we think can fix it, et cetera, et cetera. But I tweeted out that, you know, I tweet out the ages of all the players that are on the Cavaliers right now. It's, you know, 21, 20, 23, but a rookie, 24, but a rookie. Uh, and like they have one player over 30 that is, you know, JaVale, who played a very spot minutes because Jared Allen was kicking ass. Um, and it was funny because I got a few people tweeting at me like, hey, well, the Thunder are just as young, man. And I was like, yeah, I'm not saying that they they have to lose every game or win every game because of the age. It's when you're playing guys this young, you are more susceptible to big L's in big stretches of bad play. It doesn't mean that they only can lose big to teams who are older than them. Right. Right. Absolutely. And um, one of the things as well is of those young players, like of the guys that played at least 10 minutes in this game, only three were older than 23. Damian Dodson, Jetty Osman, and Dylan Windler. Of those three, one of them is a rookie who hasn't really figured out how to contribute on the NBA level yet. Um, you, you look at the grouping of Garland, Sexton, Okoro, and Allen. They played 30 minutes together against OKC, and they outscored OKC by six points over that stretch. In the 18 minutes they weren't together, the Cavs were outscored by 22 points. I went on the uh, Uncontested podcast, which is a uh, Blue Wire podcast for the OKC Thunder, and we were talking about it in the post game. And one of the things they mentioned, because um, I, I think people were right to point out how young OKC is, but they were saying the difference that they see with the Thunder team when Al Horford's in the lineup and when he's not, whether it's rest, injury, or whatever the case may be, is night and day. Having that guy out there, yep. that even when it doesn't make a massive impact on the box score, having a guy that's giving guys directions, that's quarterbacking the offense and defense, just matters so much. And I, I think that's something that's relatable for the Cavs as well, because we have a guy like that whose impact transcends the box score as well in Larry Nance Jr. And um, the box score stats certainly have been better for him this season. But for the second time this year, the Cavs have had an entire position wiped out by injuries. It was point guard crazy. before. Now it's, it's crazy. Power <laughs> like, you're just not going to win a lot of games when that's the case. Yeah, and it's not like they are understaffed. At, they were understaffed at the position either time. Mm-hmm. You know, going into the year, we thought that the Cavs had Darius Garland, uh, Dante Exum, and Delhi. All three of them were injured for, mm-hmm. for a stretch. This time, the Cavs have Larry Nance, Kevin Love, and Torian Prince, who can play small ball four. Yeah. Nada. I mean, sure, I guess Dean Wade does qualify as a power forward, but hey, another young guy. Um, and a very much a fringe rotation player. So it's like it's just so hard to evaluate it. And it's, you know, I think I, I can't help on this podcast, but always talk about the Twitter discourse because it's so much of our Cavs fan experience. But on one hand, I had some people, I felt like it was, it was a very split argument. And I found myself in the middle of it where on one hand you had people going, 
this is unacceptable. This 10 losses in a row, most of which by double digits, et cetera, et cetera. Just like really, really bad sign. And then you had people going, they play in without any power forwards and everyone on the team's 20. And it's like, I lean more towards the latter argument. Like, sure. Like in no world is this stretch a fun one or a good indicator, right? Mm -hmm. Like no one's, no one's sitting here going, actually guys, this is good news. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, like, I just think there's so much to hedge with that. I'm left kind of in no man's land as an, uh, trying to analyze this, this team, because frankly, there's just not nothing to work with right now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I don't want to be in a position where I'm saying, well, if people aren't believers now, uh, get off the bandwagon and don't enjoy it when it's the good times. No, a- absolutely. Like how much confidence you have in the individual young players, how much confidence you have in the front office and the coaching staff, like that all factors into it. And I, I think that there, there's space to have valid concerns here for sure. Um, one of the things that kind of makes me feel better is I feel like we did get some proof of concept coming into the season where the team was hunting three pointers. We know that the young guys can play well when they're supported by veterans. Um, but at this point, those veterans are just not present. Like they do not have playable options. I've seen people that are frustrated with uh, the erratic play uh, from Jetty Osman at times. I understand that, but like, what's your alternative? Are you going to Dylan Windler, who, who's struggling to figure out exactly how to make an impact? Um, that's not really going to work. Torian Prince, no longer an option. Kevin Love, Larry Ness Jr., not an option. You don't have a back. Lamar Stevens, who has shown some stretches, but like, boy, when he does look good, it's not against starters, you know? Um, and it, it's sure as hell is not a, a sure thing either, right? When, when you're talking about actual fixes that are going to have a tangible impact on the end result. Um, like, yeah, when- and that, and I just want to continue to say, like, if you really, if you were thinking that the Cavs were going to be disappointing you, and I said at the beginning of the year, and I said, well, you know, they're counting on Lamar Stevens, Damian Dotson, um, and Jetty Osmond for at least 35, you know, 35 minutes a game of Jetty, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and Dylan Windler wasn't going to be quite ready yet. Like, what would yeah. you say? You would say, oh, that makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's, it, it's just this weird spot where like everything's explainable. Like, sure. You want the, you want the efforts to be better. You don't want to be losing by 20 points, 10 games in a row or whatever the stretch is, but like, it's just so explainable. It it is. And I I mean, I I think it can be viewed. I would understand why people would view it as maybe making excuses or whatever the case may be. Personally, I, I would call it context, but like this was a stretch of games that we were saying they'd be lucky if they won one. And that was going into it with the expectation that Kevin Love was going to be back, that you were going to have Nance, that you were going to have Drummond, or the version of Drummond that we had to start the season where he had a a little more focus and was actually making a big impact. Um, And they haven't been in the rotation. Like, that sucks. Can I tell you a a dumb process I had in my head, couching it with the fact that I know it's not an acceptable analogy to make? (laughs) <laughs> but it was I was I was trying to think of an analogy because for you know two months on this podcast we said wait till February February is going to stink February is going to suck yeah. and we tried to prime both our listeners and ourselves for it and it still sucked worse than even we thought it would mm-hmm. and I was trying to think of a good comparison and I thought childbirth <laughs> like it's the it's the thing that you know is going to stink. 
and then and then you go in it and it's it hurts worse than by all reports hurts worse than you thought it was going to and then i thought that's a really really bad analogy that's that's an awful analogy you've that's taken right. over you've taken over my shtick i my analogies have been awful lately and and now you're coming in with that uh i wish here's, we were here's like- the difference between me and you though is i knew it was bad and i knew telling you the story that it was bad would be a good story but you just throw <laughs> them out there as though they're profound I, well, I mean, I think everything I say is profound, so you, you might be right there. Um, but one of the interesting uh, chain effects with these guys being out is it puts more pressure on those young guys, right? Like they have to step up in ways that uh, they wouldn't normally in, in other circumstances. And I mean, the reality is they are not yet ready to make that kind of impact at this level yet, especially against this competition. But there is such a learning curve still with these guys and that's understandable. I mean, when you're 22 or younger, there's very few guys that can go out there and really be those foundational pieces on a consistent basis. And you look at some of they the need issues, all of their young guys to be good at the same time. At, at like, the same time, they can't. If they need they to can't win. Like, look at this game. This game is a perfect example, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Both Dar- Darius, Colin, and Jarrett all had excellent games, but Jetty couldn't hit a shot. Yep. and the bench all just couldn't hang and they lost by 16 points i mean that's really what it came down to right like it was an abnormally poor shooting night they took 35 threes um the kind of young perimeter players shot seven of 22 from three rest of the team shot one of 13 and the bench was where okc won that game as well i, I talked about how that starting group was a plus six together and outside of those minutes they blew it And it's kind of interesting because over this losing streak, um, these guys taking on more responsibility or needing to do more and not necessarily doing it, right? Like when it comes to the three-point shooting, I know a lot of people will blame the coaching staff, but to me, that's it just comes across as a way to remove accountability from the players. The reality is these guys' decision-making needs to be a little sharper. And I think that that was something that they've actually acknowledged because you look at them finally getting a break with that Spurs game being postponed, and right away there is an emphasis on those guys taking those three-pointers. Like Isaac Okoro has taken 17 threes in the last two games. And that's (laughs) what you wanted to see. I mean, Colin Sexton vowed to get up five to seven a game Mm -hmm. at at a minimum. And I think it's such a good indicator. I think this is one of those things where it's, we always say coaching is the hardest thing to evaluate, right? Because we're not in the room. We don't know what the actual message is. It is we're only really seeing how, what being told is being executed. And we, then we have public record quotes. So the on-court product, we see not enough threes. That's what Mm -hmm. we've seen all season, but then when we hear the coaches say, and you know, JB and post game press are saying we got to shoot more threes, it it leaves you in no man's land as a fan. So you know, you're kind of doing detective work. You're mm-hmm. you're kind of trying to look read tea leaves and look for the signs. And when you see Isaac Okoro take 16 threes in two games after the first practice they've had in like a month, and you see Colin Sexton outwardly vouch and say, "I'm going to take five to seven threes a game," to me that tells me that the coaching staff does want more threes, that this right. is not them committing to playing, you know, old school beat up basketball and thinking that that's the road to victory. I think what we're finding is that this is a roster of players 
who is not predisposed to shoot threes as much as we thought they might. Right. Like these guys are learning how to fight their natural tendencies. And it wouldn't be as much of an issue if Kevin Love was there, if Larry Nance was there, because those guys will provide the floor spacing. Like Nance was at least a willing shooter and has some vertical spacing uh, effects on the game as well. Um, But when you look at it with those guys out of the lineup or even when Nance was playing, but with uh, a banged up shooting hand, you got Darius Garland, who is a pass first player. You have Colin Sexton, who is a slasher. You have Isaac Okoro, who is an unknown on the offensive end, right? Like he's more prone to A charitable term. He's unpolished. Right, right. uh, Absolutely. And uh, he doesn't have ways to consistently contribute on the offensive end. So when you have those three guys as your perimeter options, and then on the interior, you at one point had Andre Drummond and Jared Allen, that's not helping your spacing. Uh, You can sometimes put in Jetty Osmond now. Yeah, like you are going to get spacing. He is a willing shooter, but it's very streaky. And it does not work on the defensive end. Jetty Osmond at the four is a worse defender at that position than Kevin Love would be. Like, Kevin Love is better suited to defend power forwards than Jetty is. Um, So there's a whole lot of things going wrong. And when you look at the OKC game, I actually felt that that starting unit played well together defensively. Like, I I thought that they were on a string. There was communication out there. Um, Jared Allen is starting to become a little more vocal on that end. It's still not necessarily at the level of Larry. But what happened was... That's going to be Larry's value coming back. Oh, big time. I, I mean, he's stepped up and, and then some to fill the void that Tristan had kind of quarterback in the defense. But then once Jared Allen was out of the game and it was JaVale McGee and Jetty or Stevens or Dylan Windler at the four, you were no longer able to cover up for playing a wing at that four position. And especially when you have a team that attacks the basket like OKC, you got a really talented player in Shea Gilgis Alexander. That's just like... There, there isn't a personnel solution to that issue. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you. And like, sure, it doesn't feel good to lose to a Thunder team like this. But again, it's all explainable. It all makes sense. And for the most part, the people who you wanted to play well played pretty well. I mean, Osmond had just a a brutal game. I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, 0 of 8 from 3. I got to ask you, and this is good, t- veering us a little off topic, but are you fine with Isaac Okoro taking 11 threes? Um, cause, cause your boy is fine with it. Actually, it, it, that would depend on the in-game context. So like in this situation, I was perfectly fine with every one of those threes he took. Like every single one was fine by me. It is nice that he, um, <laughs> is seven of 17, uh, from three, <laughs> these last couple of games. Like that is not a volume I ever really expected. And they were all kind of set up catch and shoot looks. And he just needs to take those. We talked about, um, Kenny Atkinson doing that with the Brooklyn Nets where, hey, you're not really comfortable taking these shots, but just take them. Take the yep. right shots. Go out there. We, we got Jared Allen, just like they did, uh, cleaning up on the offensive glass and, and capable of pulling in those rebounds. But by having the right shot profile and becoming more comfortable taking those shots that's a really positive step forward. That's something that you can look to. Um, even Darius Garland has taken a few more aggressive shots. Um, I thought a couple times he was kind of foul hunting um, at the three-point Definitely. line. I, I, wouldn't, I, I don't really like seeing that from him yet. I, I'd rather see him focus on other things. But you're seeing pin downs now. You are seeing off-ball motion and guys looking to generate those threes. 
And to speak to your point earlier, I think that that is an encouraging sign. That's that's why I don't really have the questions about the coaching staff right now, because there does seem to be that emphasis of getting those three pointers up. And the teams that they say that they want to model themselves after, uh, whether it be Utah Jazz, Miami Heat, or the other teams that have been mentioned, are all ones that value the three-point shot, that, that hunt those type of looks. And to me, it's just more about the young guys changing their decision-making, fighting some of their natural tendencies, and getting a better shot profile. It's not a sexy thing to say. Uh, it's it's not fun uh, for fans to say, hey, these guys that I'm really invested in just need to be better. They need to make better decisions. It's easier to blame it on a coach or, or some other factor for holding them back. Andre Drummond, whatever, pick your poison there. I But really what it comes down to is, that's why they came into this year trying to win games because these guys need to fail doing what they're naturally um, kind of predisposed to doing to learn what changes they need to make. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm totally with you. I, I think that the other thing that the, the lack of depth really hurts is JB has nowhere to go. You know, if, if right. Osman, if Osman met is ice cold or Sexton blows a rotation, it's like, I mean, I guess you can put Dotson in. <laughs> like, you Man, know, it's just... honestly, his play has dropped off as well. Um, like he, the jumper is really cooled off, and I don't think I paid enough attention to that as a weakness in his game. I think he only has a career like thirty-four percent three-point shooting percentage, mm-hmm. and yeah, he's just not the the shooter he needs to be to and... to be his like fully realized version of himself. And it's funny because in that stretch where the Cavs didn't have any point guards active on the roster, he really stepped up and he played really, really well. And it's almost like now that his minutes are less consistent and he knows that or kind of understands that he doesn't have a consistent role, he's pressing a little bit, right? Like he's trying to get his own shot. He he doesn't have the confidence of, hey, I'm going to play 30 minutes, so I'm going to give the ball up here. I'm going to run the offense. And, and maybe that's just pulling him aside and saying, hey, we still don't have a backup point guard. We need you to play a little more of that team style. Again, just a, a matter of decision-making. But him not being as effective lately really hurts because they desperately, desperately need a backup point guard right now. Yeah, can we actually talk about that? I know this is, again, veering probably off our rundown, but mm-hmm. I noticed some some discourse last night about kind of where the Cavs' front office has like, failed this team. And I kind of want to push back on it a little bit i saw someone say uh, they don't have a backup point guard it's been a problem all year and they haven't addressed it Mm -hmm. and i just don't know if that's fair um (laughs) like so first off first off um they had one (laughs) they had one and he was playing really well his name is dante exum uh they had to move him uh to pick up uh their center of the future and jared allen Mm -hmm. okay so that's that's number one number two they had a backup for him. His name is Matthew Delavado. He's been on the team for several years. Uh, they could not have predicted that he would get a concussion that would wipe him out for potentially his entire career, mm-hmm. which is terrible. But, you know, that, that is not within their realm of control. Mm-hmm. They also thought that they were going to have a young wing named Kevin Porter Jr. that was going to be picking up a ton of playmaking reps on their mm-hmm. second unit that they wanted to give those reps to. That spun out sideways in a way that I do not think is fair to predict. And obviously, you know, we do not have any idea of how that situation went down, how it went, but it certainly seemed like that was a relationship that had to move on for a, for a myriad number of reasons. So it's yeah. like, 
Sure. Could they have gone and chased a backup point guard on the free agent market? That was a, a true facilitator. You know, the, uh, the gosh, who's the backup point guard, the backup on the Sixers, uh, NATO or whatever, like a guy like that, just a, a journeyman backup one. Sure. But like, I just didn't, I think they thought they had more, they had more assets in the can there than I think people are willing to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I get it. I get maybe they should try to find one soon, but like, this is also a team that probably has a couple trades more to make. And maybe mm-hmm. they're targeting their backup point guard there. Like, I just don't know. I don't know if it's fair. And maybe, and maybe I'm being too generous, but mm-hmm. in my opinion, I, I thought that the team was fine at the point guard position going into the year. I mean, we thought that there was a log jam, that there were too many guards that needed minutes and what are they going to do with it? And look at you being the company man, Carter. They said we said we wouldn't chill lasted one episode. But honestly, <laughs> I think I would have made this this point beforehand. Because no, of, like of course. And I, be, I think it's I think it's a valid one. And even Damian Dotson, like coming into preseason was making good decisions, looked like he could give you those reps. The other factor that I, I think you need to acknowledge as well is when you have wings that are playing power forward and eating up all of those minutes, it makes it tougher for you to stagger Garland and Sexton as the point guards because normally you'd need the wings to play alongside those guys to make those lineups possible. And it's just stretched everything really thin. Um, Obviously, the other part of this is they have an open roster spot and you could say, well, why don't they go out and get a Yogi Ferrell or uh, another point guard on the market? And this is another one of those short-term concessions for long-term planning where you understand that with an Andre Drummond trade, you're likely getting two for one or three for one. Yeah. Or more, right? Like it's going to take a lot to meet that dollar value and having that open roster spot is really helpful in those situations. So, I mean, it's frustrating. Um, I I think last night was a tough game to go through. Like I got a little down and some of the spirit sapper, you were hoping for something fun. And I think that's the primary reason people are upset today is they were hoping for a respite and they didn't get one. Can I make one more point before you pivot off of roster construction? Sure. I think if there is one spot and I'm not sure this, this is kind of nebulous criticism, Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think this is the one spot where I do feel like in practice this season, even though I didn't think there was a problem going in, I think it might be one now is maybe they should have aimed for a few more uh, vets at the end of their bench, as ah. opposed to the, you know, they converted Dean Wade to a full-time contract. Um, you know, Lamar's on a two way, so there's nothing much to be said there. Um but by the way, maybe, I, maybe love... one more vet, but like, I don't know, man. It's just like, there, there just wasn't that much room for it either at the time. So but by the way, I, I'm Lamar being Stevens... out of my own criticism at the time. Yeah. I, I, I'm two way sure guys. You can't you. go get a vet. Cause it's, it's age capped. Right. Right. I, I'm, I don't know if I'm with you there. I, I think it's just kind of a, a product of what this season is, which I'm just trying I... to think of one extra thing that might, that, that, that might've saved some pain is having mm-hmm. another 28 year old to go to. But again, they thought they had that. They thought they had the delis of the world to be able to throw in. Right. You know, and they just don't. 
And, and you, you look at this season and the teams that have been hit the hardest with injuries for the most part were the delete eight, right? Like the teams that had nine months off an abbreviated training camp. And then we go into the schedule where you're playing a game every other night. You're, you're playing five games in seven days. And apparently, I, I don't know if you heard this, uh, Brian Windhorst mentioned this on the hoop collective, um, but apparently second half schedule is going to be even worse, like in terms of how condensed and rushed it is. Uh, there's a lot of fears that it's going to be worse than what we've dealt with before. And you know what? I, I think that's part of why you also want to slow play someone like Kevin Love, where if he is ex- uh, experiencing that calf soreness, you want to be really careful because the load once you're back is going to be really, really difficult. So, I mean, it was really disappointing not to get him back for the Thunder game. Um, I know that was initially the date that uh, Chris Fedor had mentioned um, that they were kind of targeting for him to come back. Uh, for him to re-experience some soreness there and not be able to play sucks because we could really use a power forward. Uh, you mentioned Lamar Stevens. I will say this. I am interested in him. Um, like, I would rather, if you had to pick one between he and Dean Wade, I'd rather keep Stevens because I, I really kind of like his upside. I, I like what he brings to the table. Um, he's really kind of, he, he makes an impression on the defensive end of the floor. Maybe you kind of play him as a power forward more than anything else or along with those spacers. So he can rim run a little bit. Um, but I, 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 he's a kind of guy that I'm interested in keeping on the roster and, and seeing what he can bring to the table as he develops. Again, I'm not, I, I don't think Lamar Stevens even qualifies for the conversation, to be honest, like. Because he's a two-way guy, you know, they only have those spots, and mm-hmm. ideally, they wouldn't be. Oh, playing I'm, right I'm just now. talking. I'm moving on off of your point and just talking in general. That yeah, I've, I've been mostly encouraged by him on the defensive end, and you know, if the jumper gets there, then he's a player. If it doesn't, mm-hmm. then he'll probably stay at the periphery of the league. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. It, it's just hard. You're you're kind of scrambling for answers. You know, what I was thinking about last night. Isn't it wild that none of us know how to build a team still? <laughs> you know what i mean like we're still like what's the best way what's this what's the best way as it like and i'm talking as a fan base right now it's like like mostly we've liked all the Cavs moves mm-hmm. so but now right now stinks so like what does that mean does it mean we were wrong does it mean we need to be more patient you know it's like there's still so much guesswork i guess if it were a self problem the league would be a lot less interesting but it is funny how lost at least I feel right now in terms of <laughs> solutions other than get older and healthier. Yeah. Well, I mean, and those are the same thing actually the, in this case, yeah. you, you know what, like that, I, I think that really is what the solution is. And you know what, I'm the all seeing eye is right here, man. Like I, I, you know, I know the future and I'm always right. Uh, and that's kind of my on this podcast. I, I can already tell which way this season is going to go because now everyone, the pendulum has swung so far to the other direction that after the all-star break, when this team is healthy and the sky schedule is going to be a lot lighter and the young guys start playing better, they're going to go like 15 and 21 down the stretch and people are going to freak out about lottery odds. And it, it's going to, swing I'll tell you what, direction. you don't get to do that. You don't get to throw a fit about this team not playing well and then also complain when they play well because they're now damaging their lottery odds that i will i will not abide tabs mm. twitter i'm gonna i'm gonna scold you and <laughs> uh and i'm not into that like you're I'm, either I'm you're you, either rooting I'm for wins you. or you're not man i'm telling you that's what's going to happen and you talk about kind of the mystery of team building i i still am of the same opinion where it's develop all the talent you have especially under this current lottery system 
you just develop guys, develop guys, develop guys, develop guys, try to work on your culture because there is just no guarantees when it comes to the lottery. I mean, even if you have like the sixth odds, you still have a 40% chance of jumping into the top four. If you have the worst record in the league, you still have a 48% chance of picking fifth. Like there is no guarantee in that. So develop talent. And if there is a ceiling that you end up hitting, you can consolidate that talent. You can make the moves there. So, I mean, when you look for the rest of the season, so right now, the rest of this week, there's two games that I would say are kind of still in the Cavs weight class. I think the Atlanta Hawks are a better roster. Now they have Gallinari back. Um, They are a better team, but I do still think that's a game that the Cavs could win. I feel the same way about the game against the Rockets. Obviously doesn't help that it's a back to back, but these are at least some winnable games. But when you mean, Justin, how many games back are the Cavs from a play in spot right now? Do you know off the top of your head? Three and a half, three and a half. So, like there's not like these other east teams are blowing us away here Mm -hmm. oh absolutely but when you talk about what this team needs to do for the rest of the season i still think that trying to shoot for a playing game should be the goal like i i think you should be trying to win every single one of these games because that's when you get tape that you can actually use that's where you can point out um different weaknesses and, and areas where the young guys have fallen short like to me, I'm still looking at the season that Garland's had, Sexton's had, Jared Allen is having, and like those three are incredibly encouraging to me. Like long term, I still feel really good about them. Uh, I have some evolving thoughts about Darius Garland and what type of archetype he is as a player, but I still see a really effective player and someone that I'm encouraged by. Isaac Okoro is being thrown to the wolves. Like there, there's just no trial by fire. Man, like the what's being asked of him as a rookie is a lot, but like talking to our buddy Dave Dufour and kind of hearing what scouts have to say and things like that about Okoro, like, yeah, uh, his guy is hitting some shots, but he is working his butt off. He is in the right position often. Um, and when he isn't, he's learning from those experiences. So um, I, I'm still like, I'm not as high on Okoro as like an all-star potential type guy like I am with kind of the, the rest of the young core. But I still think that trying to win and trying to get those reps in is the most valuable course of action for the Cavs moving forward. Couldn't agree more, my friend. I think that the guys who you really want to shine are doing okay. You know, I mm-hmm. think I think Colin has regressed a little bit in his shot profile. Yep. Oh, good thing he just said he was going to fix it. Um, <laughs> you know, Darius, I still think the flaws are there in the sense that the three-point volume is still too low. He's working on it. Yep. Uh, the the free throw thing I, is going to be a problem until it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, his true shooting percentage, is, it's going to be hard for him to get those efficiencies yeah. numbers high. I, I was about um, to say, you should clarify that for new listeners. Just the the lack of getting the uh, poor free throw rate, not, not yeah, getting the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the free throw rate is not good enough um, for him. Uh, but you know, and then and then Jarrett, you know, ideally, he projects as someone who becomes the real core of your defense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you project him. You want him to eventually be the defensive quarterback, where yeah. you know the guy who guarantees you a defensive floor, no matter who else you have on the floor. Think Rudy Gobert, our favorite punching bag, like. Pretty much no matter what personnel the Jazz put out there, they're going to have a baseline like 
10th best defensive rating. Yeah. Uh, I think we hope Jarrett gets there. That's where I want to see him on that end really grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're you know what? That's all tracking the right. They're all tracking what... the right direction. I guess is my point. Yeah, and that's where I, I think you're correct to point out that that's where I would like to see growth with Jared Allen and the game where he was yelling at Sexton going into the halftime. Like that was something that I actually took to be a positive because he was calling out. It seemed like he was calling out what he did wrong on the defensive end. And that's what Nance's role was, right? Like Nance was out there telling guys where they need to be. He was holding guys accountable on that end of the floor. And having someone that does that on a possession-by-possession basis is really, really important. That's going back to what we talked about, the veteran presence that Al Horford provides for the Thunder. Um, Like, that's what you need for a young core. Like, when you are starting four guys that are 22 and younger, like, you need to have those adults on the floor so seeing jared allen actually communicate more as the season goes along getting more comfortable with their defensive schemes and holding guys accountable i would really like to see that that's kind of the number one area for growth um i will say in regards to the free throw rate with garland i'm completely with you it is nice to see him have a few more physical drives lately where he's putting his body into guys uh there was a couple times where he manufactured free throws against the thunder I, I just want to see more of that because I, I think he's shifty enough where he can catch guys off balance, get, draw the foul, and get to the line and kind of create some easy points for himself. You know whose tape he's got to watch? Whomst? Trey Young. Our uh, favorite. Not on anything except how to draw fouls when you're attacking the cup. Uh, Nothing yeah. else. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I know he's not our favorite player, but man, like if you're looking for a small player with a, a – a small frame that gets by on craft and ball handling. Well, boy, do I have a good example for you. Mm -hmm. He's such a funny player because you look at the numbers as a starter and it's uh, 17 and six, basically he's shooting like almost 50, 40, 90 uh, from, from the floor. I thought he was excellent against the thunder, by the way. Yes, I, I thought that it was a really, really good game. Um, I'm excited to see as they play some kind of teams that are a little more in their weight class to, to see if he's a little more assertive. But I, I've seen enough out of him to kind of make the the assessment that this is just a he's a pure point guard. Like he is a pass first player. He is not kind of the uh, he's not in the Kyrie Dame mold that uh, I think some people anticipated. I never was there with him anyways. Like that wasn't the type of guy that I thought he was going to be. But he's kind of and you're going to kill me for this because I, I said it before and you laughed at me. But he's kind of more in that Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley type mold where he's looking to get other guys involved. But the biggest thing for him is if he is going to be that kind of pure pass first point guard, he's going to have to find other ways to make an impact. And you got to be uber efficient. That's my thing with him. I don't think his frame is ever going to let him be a Mike Conley or a Kyle Lowry on defense. Mm -hmm. So to that end, he's got to be someone who gets that true shooting percentage up. He's got to get the assist to turnover ratio pretty golden. His margin for error is smaller because of the fact that he is not a high variance player right now. Yeah. And because of the fact that he is just small. And so that's really what I want to see from him is listen, if you're not going to be the explosive player, that's okay. We don't have, you don't have to be who we thought you might be, which Mm -hmm. is a, you know, a gunner, which clearly is just not his vibe at all. 
Yeah. But you got to be super efficient. And I think he's figuring it out. You know, I'm seeing less, you know, taking the first floater the defense gives him. Uh, and, you know, he took some threes off the bounce. They didn't look super comfortable going off his hand against OKC. That's okay. Get the reps. Get the reps, man. And I think, I think again, this is why I'm not as down on this team as maybe others are right now is I'm seeing they're at, what they're at least telling me is what I want to hear. You yeah. know, this is not, you know, the Knicks with Isaiah Thomas when he's like, we're going to zig, we're, we're going to zag where everyone else is zigging. We're going to play Eddie Curry and Zach Randolph together. Like they're telling me the right stuff. The kids are just too young to figure it out yet. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the players that we kind of compare Garland to, like they took time as well, right? Like Kyle Lowry took a long time to figure it out. Uh, Garland just turned 21 years old, uh, like a month ago. And at that age, Mike Conley was a 10 point four assist kind of guy, right? Um, Now that we're old and washed, doesn't 21 seem so much younger than it did when we were younger? (laughs) You know what, That, that might be part of why uh, we have a little more patience when it comes to this is when, when you, you look at people on now that we're 30, it's like, Oh man, he's only 21. (laughs) You, you you know what? I, maybe that's what this really is. Maybe we are becoming old and, uh, just our perspectives are changing. I I think that's very possible, but I, I agree with you. I, I think Garland, um, is showing strides. He's moving in the right direction. Think he's got to realize that as he takes more three pointers, it's going to open up opportunities for other people because you're going to have more attention, you're going to have more gravity, you're going to be able to blow guy by guys and and uh, kind of ex- display some of his strengths. So I I think it's trending in the right direction. It's just again we're kind of in that limbo stage where they just need to get vets back. They need to f- eventually find an Andre Drummond trade here. Um, they, they can just I, can I say healthy. this as well? I think that my, my theory, at least who's to say if it'll be right. Mm-hmm. My theory is that the Andre Drummond trade will come back with two to three playable vets. Yeah. Just I, because of how the, like when you play with trade NBA or trade machine or whatever you use, it's really hard to make it work without taking a bunch of guys who have played a lot of minutes Yeah, just to get the, to just to make the numbers work. They're going to be trading for probably one guy in the 15 million range, a couple in the six to, you know, four to six, not a lot of rookie deals um, involved here. So my theory is that if that trade happens, it's actually going to really help the on-court product this year. Yeah. Because they could use some, some useful, uh, veteran bodies. Yep, yeah, I, I think that's a um, accurate um, description of the situation. I, I think that's the most likely way that this goes. It's the limbo, man. We got five games left until the All Star break. Uh, hopefully, uh, Kevin Love can make his return before the All Star break. But uh, I mean, really, I'm feeling doubtful with that uh, with that setback. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's certainly unfortunate, but uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe the young guys step up. They, they find a way to steal one of these wins. That's that's part of the growing pains, right? Like, it's it's learning how you respond to these losses. So there is still things to, to learn and, and takeaways from this stretch, but reality is when you're missing this many guys, it just becomes a lot more difficult to evaluate what they're trying to build. Um, I, I still think that there's encouraging signs with the young guys, but... It's going to take time. And uh, I, I mean, you, you'll talk to people who say, oh, j- you know, just hang for a couple of years, get more high picks, blah, blah, blah. 
reality is you actually have to go through all of those games and um I, that's that's not something that i i find interesting so that's why i'm always pushing towards being competitive trying to develop guys and try to win as many games as possible so hopefully they steal one fingers crossed boy could i use that but uh i'm I think we might just have to sit in this one a little while longer, but I think better things are to come. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see. And uh, who, who knows? Maybe we'll get one before we record on Thursday night. That'll be the next time that uh, we got a podcast going. I want to thank everybody for your patience. Again, massive thank you to the, your support uh, with this big announcement. We're really excited for what this means for the future. Uh, once everything is set up and we're able to live stream on the Cavs YouTube channel. We will be putting out a schedule ahead of time at our Twitter accounts. So make sure you follow me at Cavs Anada, follow Carter at Carter underscore shade. Uh, so we will have that information available for you there. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make hey, sure you- quick, quick note, Justin. Okay. Sub to the Cavs YouTube channel and turn on them alerts for mm. live stream notifications because now we are going to be living on YouTube for our live streams and if you don't sever the channel and you don't turn on alerts how are you gonna know for live i mean sure we're gonna tweet it but sure wouldn't you rather just get a push notification come on get that yeah. sub button you know what that's a good note thank you producer carter uh always, yeah. always appreciate you there always appreciate our listeners make sure you guys are staying safe and until next time go calves go calves